Welcome to another edition of the Sounding Off on Soccer podcast. This is John Krasinski, Pittsburgh Soccer Now. And with me, Dominic Campbell. Dom, how are you doing this morning? I'm good, sir. How are you? It's December, and we have a ton of soccer to talk about. It's, it's I, I don't even know what, like, December, by this point, Dom, I'm usually settling in, maybe getting some, you know, Whippeal, getting all the, the high school uh, selections and just putting, posting all that stuff out there. You know, that's in the rearview mirror. Of course, this is a day, actually, the Pittsburgh Riverhounds will announce their, um, you know, who, well, I don't know if they'll formally announce it today, but they have to submit, um, you know, to the league, which players their contract options they'll pick up for 2023. So that's going on as well. Uh, we had gotten news too earlier in the week that Russell Cicerone, who's the Hounds top goal scorer the last two seasons will not be coming back. And obviously he's going to have his contract, his two year contract expired. He, has plenty of really good options out there. I'm sure he's going to test the market. Could he go back home to Detroit? Could he go to Sacramento? As there's been some th different things. So that's going on, and we'll cover that. Uh, of course, check out Pittsburgh Soccer Now for the latest. We have all the contract, um, the list of all the players and all the contract options. Um, and we, in my column, I kind of make, like if I we had a voice in a room, kind of listed all that. But, but right now, though, it's a busy week, Dom, and we're talking about an unbelievable uh, game on Saturday, Sunday night. Uh, Pitt defeated uh, the University of Kentucky, number one Kentucky. But, you know, this Pitt team, you know, you and I have been talking and you've been covering them all season long. Like, we know that they were capable of doing this. They're capable of winning a national championship. With, the question was, could they put it all together? And it seemed like this, as they got into the NCAA tournament, they've grown into they've, they've really grown into especially once they got to akron uh and then of course had a really great game plan i thought did well against kentucky yeah it's pretty uh, impressive to see how everything's coming together for them so far i mean we talk about a team that had a long stretch of win a winless streak i know some people say well they're unbeaten or whatever but they, they they had a long time where they didn't went without a win in the 90 minutes and now they're coming together and they've got three straight wins in 90 minutes. I mean, we talk about the first game they put against Cleveland State pretty – I mean, people expect them to win, but, you know, you still got to get that done. They got that done, and then they go to Akron, and um, I, I don't know we've talked about it before, but they played a really solid game, uh, a disciplined game against a team that was not disciplined. And they uh, they got two goals from the penalty spot, and they uh, got a third goal from Louis Sam Cow, and then that led them to go to Kentucky, a team that – Many did not expect them to take down, but I mean, again, good discipline, good defense, and we've got a team that's been able to finally find some goals, and now they're in the Elite Eight against Portland and with a chance to make their second Final Four or College Cup, rather, in the last two of the last three seasons. So it's very, very exciting for Pittman soccer and everything around it. You you used the word discipline twice in your uh, – I was just listening to you, and it made me think – that, you know, you can have all the great pieces in play, you know, the talented, the Berton Jockason, you have Valentin Noel at the top, you know, if given opportunities, they're going to, they're going to convert chances, but it's everything solidifying everything in front of them. And I have to say, you know, I think that's where this pit team, I thought very early in the season, it looked like they had some really good pieces 
but they, they couldn't, they were just having trouble. Maybe it was because they were playing too open-ended or whatever the case was where they were kind of, you know, giving up goals and, and just, you know, not kind of playing to their level of their competition. But I think in the, in the, in the NCAA tournament, they've been outstanding um, as far as managing games. And I think that's when you get into these one and done situations and, and Jay Vitovich is, you know, he's been there so many times. I think that's been a, where they've, they've really set themselves apart. And like you said, they played, I mean, they didn't play that great against Cleveland state, but they kind of, they took care of business and they got themselves for the next round. And then again, I, I mean, I thought they played exceptional at Akron, but, but the discipline in which they played with at Akron, they kind of they stuck to their game plan. They were patient on the ball. I think they've been more patient on the ball and letting Philip Murkovic, Murkovic and, and, and Jackson Walty dictate tempo and maintain possession. Cause I think that mid, that cent, central midfield has been outstanding through the, through the, the NCAA tournament. Um, what are your thoughts on the, the midfield and the way that they, they've kind of kept a solid shape throughout. Well, it doesn't help having a player like Jackson Walty. I did a feature on him, but yeah, he has the most program minutes. He's basically played every single game since he's come on as a walk on. He did not get many looks, and now he's probably one of the greatest players in Pittman soccer history with a chance to potentially go and play professional soccer. I, I think he's a very solid player. He's not the most flashy, but um gets the job done. He anchors that midfield and uh helps the defense because he's more of a central defensive midfielder than you have Murkovic right next to him, who is a fantastic on the one of the best the best player on the team on the ball, really cool and calm and composed, and it has one of the has some of the most assists I believe in Division One. Um, he uh, twelve or thirteen I believe last time I checked. Yeah, he's incredible with passing and great with just getting the ball forward to players like Noel and Jackson and uh Josh Lucchini and Louis Samcow and whoever's up front. Um, yeah, they, they are hugely responsible for how well this team plays and um they're going to be the main they're one of the main reasons they're here right now i mean without them i don't i don't see them making it as far but yeah they're incredibly important a lot of stuff off the ball as well that they do um they're very good at pressuring they're very good at um you know like anything that really needs to be done they have experience and david trusts them to get things done and so far at least in this tournament they've absolutely done that yeah and the kentucky game was it was it was a wild ride. I mean, it was the first half. You you could tell Pitt was. I don't know if Kentucky. I mean, Kentucky had to know the level of play that Pitt would come at them with and be on the front foot and that sort of thing. But I think it was still a little bit surprised. I think they. I think Pitt controlled play, uh, although it, you know it didn't. It was zero zero, uh, and then all of a sudden in the second half, you know the first punch came from Kentucky and Pitt had, I thought had done an excellent job of kind of minimizing Kentucky's chances and limiting their shots on, on goal, especially it was, that was the, the first shot on goal, I believe was the kind of a scrum in front of the net. And that's how Kentucky punched in their goal. And, but there was this unbelievable level of confidence. And Dan Angel was at, uh, was in Lexington and he covered the game. And there one quote that, um, stood out to me was Walty. Walty said, you know, they scored, but it didn't matter. Uh, you know, he felt that they were uh, the better team and Pitt just, they carried that swagger. Like, you know, we're the better team. You guys, you just scored. We're going to respond. And sure enough, within a you know a minute or so, 
they get the they get the equalizer with Noel um, there on the end of it, and uh, you know that's that's a um, that's a sign of a team that again we talk about the discipline, but that mentality too. And Coach Vidovich also talked about that mentality too. And there's just so many quotes over the years <clears throat> that players have talked about where Jay Vidovich has really helped them with the mental side of their game and helping them prepare them for life as well beyond soccer. Uh, and he just seems to be someone who gets that message across to his players. Yeah. I mean, Jay's been around for so many years. I mean, he's obviously had so much success, but it's not just the players he has, but how he's able to get them to do what they need to do to win. I mean, you know, I, I cover the team a lot this season. Uh, John, you know, the games I covered are a bit boring at times. They're just a bit, you know, the results you don't want to see. You don't want to see a bazillion draws. Now, granted, we know that this season they got rid of overtime in the regular season, which is good for the players, but also means that you're going to see a lot more draws. And they, they, they drew a lot of games. They they lost a game. They only lost like two, three, four games this year, but they haven't, they haven't lost a lot of games, but there's been a lot of times where they've been struggling to put things together. And he's believed in them the whole time I talked to him. He's like, you know what? We're, we're still a better team. And we believe, we, we believe that we can do this. We just got to put things together and hopefully get it at the right time. And again, like they're doing it at the right time. Like I think if you're a pit fan, you know, you'll, you'll take those struggles and you realize, well, at least we're getting it together now because we're in the elite eight again. And, that just stands a testament to Jay and the fact that he's able to get these kids mentally ready every game. And, but I think these kids know as well. I mean, they've had the success. They know what they can do. I mean, not every player on the team has played at Pitt forever, but I mean, players like Jocasan and Noel and Walty, they, they've been around for a while. They're not new kids around the block. They're, they're, they're veterans to some extent and they know it needs to be done and they're doing it right now, as you can see. So yeah, testament to Jay and the team for uh, all the hard work they're putting in and their their mindset to be able to achieve what they've done so far this season. And you mentioned the ties. Kentucky, even though they were unbeaten and number one team in the country, had five. They were fifteen zero and five, which I, I I looked at that before the match, and I looked at some of their ties, and they were, you know, I mean, they were the Sun Belt was a new a whole. It was like a a whole new uh, frontier for college soccer this year. Was essentially teams kind of from the Mac, from uh, the Big 12, schools from the Big 12 to Southeast Conference. It was a, like a, a, a group of conferences that don't have soccer conference, you know, that don't have soccer like in the SEC or the Big 12 and some of the other conferences like the Mac and, and whatnot, uh, that they just kind of put together this conference and West Virginia's part of it and Marshall and so, I mean, uh, for Kentucky to rise to the top and be the top team in that conference, um, I thought was very, very impressive. Still, they had five ties. They had a, a lot of attacking firepower. And I think Pitt saw that. One thing they recognized was we just keep them on the fringes. And, you know, if they want to send shots from outside the box and, you know, just, just keep them at the distance, I think they did a pretty good job of limiting their shots. And that's really at the end of the day where they – there were shots coming, but they limited. Um, they weren't really quality too many too many quality shots on goal. Um, but anyway, we got to the you know the the about halfway was about the seventy um, second minute or so, uh, and then you know one thing we talk about Pitt had to put together a makeshift back line this year in terms of bringing some graduate seniors and things like that, and and Enrique Galina. Uh, who I interviewed early in the season uh, seems like, you know, just a real level-headed guy. 
a senior, a leader. Um, it was kind of surprising that he would make a mistake in that moment where he would get a red card. So the first instinct is like, you see, he comes in, he looked like he came in a little hard. And, but then after watching the replay, you could see clearly the field was very wet and he slipped and he lost control and his studs were up. And I think that the official probably just couldn't get past that part of it. And he, you know, he cleated the, the player and the player got, uh, the Kentucky player got, was injured. And so Pitt goes down a man, but what were your thoughts on that kind of awkward collision and send off for Galena? Yeah, no fans are mad that uh, he got sent off, but unfortunately, intent does not matter <laughs> if you put your studs up. Even it's an accident, like it was. I mean, he slipped. It wasn't like yeah. he intentionally just went in with a ridiculous hard tackle to try right. and take out his man. You know, just kind of happens, and you're gonna get a red card for that. Anytime you put your studs up or put your, if you have a high tackle, they're gonna call it. And um, unfortunately for him, yeah, he got a red card. He was just stunned. He couldn't believe it because he he looked like he felt like he just clattered into him. He felt like, well, we just we just came together, but in reality, the referee sees it a different way. Now, I know there's VAR to some extent in college soccer. I don't know how extensive it's used everywhere. I know Pitt has it at Ambrose or Brandon Field, but I don't know what it's – I can't remember exactly what it's used for, but I think it would probably be used in instances like that. But I don't know if Kentucky has it. Um, so, Well, I think it's a, it has to be consistently used. I think the NCAA is using it in the tournament as far as I know, but okay. – um, Unless they were just experimenting with it in the ACC, yeah, I don't know. The only time, the only time I saw it used this year was in the Georgetown game. So that was obviously not an ACC match; mm -hmm. there was a non-conference, but it was it was an, on ESPN Plus or whatever. And as long as they have that broadcast, but I would imagine it, every game is being broadcast by ESPN Plus. So therefore, they have access to the VAR. I'm pretty sure that it's we'd have to we'd have to double check, but. I'm pretty sure they're using VAR in the NCAA tournament. Um, but, yeah, it, look, I mean, I, that was it. I mean, a lot of people were upset. You know, Twitter, Pitt Twitter blew up, and rightfully so because he slipped. We are all clear on that. But, like you said, the studs came up. And I think sometimes the other thing the officials will look at is if you, if you show that you slow down, and I don't think at any point – he was coming in did did he slow down and because of that he lost control and yes he slipped so i guess maybe that's part of it too yeah i mean if you lose control or anything like that and things happen they will call red card or yeah. yellow card or whatever and in that instance that's what the referee saw and so he red carded him unfortunately for you know because he was just like but what the heck i just I accidentally hit him i just it's actually it was an accident but yeah but I mean, give credit to Pitt for fighting through that red card. I mean, I know we'll talk about it soon, but um, they do do they get the win, even though they had to go down to ten men with uh twelve minutes. Yeah, and and you you know when that happened, right? First thing you saw, and I thought Dan did a great job in his match report talking about how he Jay Vitovich gathered his team, brought the players in together in a huddle. You could just see the focus is in the group as he was talking and his. They were, I mean, this is, you talk about players that buy into a city. I mean, these, everyone is, is just tuning in. It's one, one and Jay is like, okay, this is what we've got to do. And I, one of the things that you have to admire about Pitt, people say this, I remember interviewing Devin Kerr, who's a ACC and USL analyst. And he said, the one thing about Pitt is that 
you're always going to have a team that's going to try to get forward no matter what. And, you know, they're, they're down a man and they were in a solid defensive shape, but they were, they were, when the moments came, they took chances and you could see that leading up to, and I, I believe me, trust me, I've covered many games where teams have been down a man and, and, you know, seen them pull off wins. It's just, there's a, you know, it's possible. It can happen. So Jay is instilling that belief in his team at that moment. And, you know, sure enough, not only that, the way they executed the goal, I just thought it was fabulous. Didn't you, Tom? I mean, it was a, just a fabulous execution of, you know, sending a ball into the box, towards the box. And Josh Lucini knows, hey, I've got all I have to do is just bring this ball down. And Berton is right there. And I just have to get it to him. And it was a, it happened very quick. The two, the two, there were three Kentucky defenders in front of Lucini. So Pitt wasn't, I mean, obviously was not a man advantage, of course, being in numbers, but a fabulous, quick and just instinctive play by Lucini to get the ball over to Jokasen. And then Jokasen doesn't just take a touch and shoot it. He kind of takes two takes. I think he took two touches. And as he did that, the three Kentucky defenders started to stretch out more and more, which gave him more space. And he just, he just, and it was, was it still a tight space to navigate? And he, he just, it was perfect shot. Yeah. If you want to talk about one of the best goals you'll ever see as a Pitt fan from one of your teams. I mean, yeah, Burton, Burton Jocelyn, uh, incredible goal, but again, credit to Josh Lucini, former, North Allegheny star um, talked to him recently for a feature with a uh, Michael Sullivan. Um, I guess we can talk about him at some point, but yeah, I mean, Josh Lucini not been on the goals this year, but um, it's still a vital piece. He's starting many games for, uh, for uh, Jay Vitovich and Pitt. Um, even though he did not start against uh, Kentucky, uh, Fatosa started ahead of him, but you know, he comes in that crucial moment, gets his head on the ball and that's exactly what you need. You need a player that's willing to go and get it. And he did. And um, Jack Hassan for him to take that shot and ha- to have the gall to just, get score that is incredible. I mean, I, I'm not expect a goal out of that shot, but, um, and, and as we, I've said before, you know, I, he's not really a striker. He's not the kind of player that I would expect to shoot, shot, like take shots like that. But Hey, if you got the, if you got the confidence to take it you're going to make it <laughs> do it, I guess. <laughs> he, he's, you know, he's shown those uh, on, on dead ball. I remember in his freshman year, he scored a, a game winner. I believe it was like, <laughs> Virginia or somewhere like that. And they were playing an overtime game and he scored a, a free kick goal. Uh, so they, they gave him the, the green light, even when he was a freshman at times on dead ball strikes and stuff. And then I think last year in a playoff in the NCAA tournament, he also scored, um, he had that uh, multiple goal game, but one of those shots came from outside the box too. It was, it looked like more like a cross that they kind of tricked yeah. up the keeper, but, but you know, he, he he doesn't take a lot of chances from outside. So it was, but obviously showing his talent for sure. All right. So we have a a few minutes left here. And so now Pitt will play Saturday and Saturday is going to be nuts because we've got the Pitt game at one o'clock and proceeding. That will be the world U S men's world cup game. I I mean, my wife is probably just had, I mean, how many more soccer games are you you're going to be watching to, to the end of the year? I mean, it's Christmas time. We're getting ready for the holidays. And uh, now that when we got soccer still uh, going on, it's it's crazy. But so Saturday at one o'clock at Ambrose Urbanic Field, I, I know I will be there. 
um, Dom, and just what are your thoughts? I mean, you've been doing a little um, homework on their opponent, Portland, the Portland Pilots, which come from out west. They're in, uh, they're in the WAC, their Western Athletic Conference. You know, they play with like Gonzaga, Denver, and those type of teams. Um, they're all there's a lot of good teams out there and they played some Pac-10 competition, too. So they're battle tested, too. They've been they're I think they have a little chip on their shoulder because they feel like they have a better record than Pitt and they should be hosting this game. Um, but what are your what are your thoughts on this matchup? And from what you've seen of Portland, what do you what do you think of this 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 team? I mean, they're a very solid team, John. But just looking at um, their head coach, uh, Nick Carlin Voigt, he has been coaching the same amount of time that uh, Jay has. And during that time, he has three, um, well, now four NCAA appearances. So, I mean, it's trying to take a team from not making the NCAA tournament for a while and now doing it again. Um, although this program has had more success previously, they made the uh, College Cup semifinals, the, the Final Fours we know in 1995. So they've had success before. And also in terms of the World Cup, Casey Keller and uh, Steve Trundolo are alums of this program. So if you're a men's national team fan, I'm, you know who I'm talking about. But um, yeah, they're a very solid team. Uh, looking at the uh, road to this tie, to this tie between Pitt, um, they beat Riverside 2-1 the first round. Then they go to Oregon State and take them down 2-0. Um, they were going to stay with the number eight seed. And then they get Western Michigan at home, and then they beat them 1-0. So this is the first time they're really traveling far away. Uh, for a tie, they've been on the West Coast, I think almost at home. Uh, Oregon State's only about an hour, hour and a half from Portland. So um, th they've been pretty much having a somewhat home advantage to some extent. Um, Almost as a little more than Pitt, I believe, even though Pitt hasn't traveled too much. You know, Akron, which I did go to, and then uh, Lexington for Kentucky. So no, one, no one's traveled excessively far, but they've been a bit easier for their path. But in terms of the players, um. One of the better players is Brandon Cambridge. Uh, he leads the team in goals. Um, he hasn't scored in a while, but he's still a very big threat. He comes out of the Vancouver uh, Whitecaps Academy, so a player Pitt will need to watch out for. I believe he started and played in every game this year, so that's a player that they'll need to look at. Um, they have one of the best uh, freshmen in the uh, in the in the country, and Nick Fernandez is a very solid player. Uh, who else is pretty good on this team? Sebastian Nava. He leads the team with 10 assists. Um, Grumman Sangha has uh, eight, uh, six assists and six goals. Um, but yeah, in terms of their, their play, I mean, they're a pretty solid team. They uh, like the boss players. And um, I mean, they're going to get Pitt a challenge, but I think I do think Pitt's a better team, but uh, Pitt's going to be ready to take on this team. Um, and, and I think both teams are going to play a pretty solid game. So uh, if you get the time to go out to Ambrose or Benning Field on Saturday after watching the U.S. play uh, the Netherlands, I, I think you should uh, see a great game and uh, team uh, both teams uh, coming after going after it to make that final four appearance. Yeah, and I, you know, I, 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 they're they're this close. Last year, the Pitt did not have a chance to play. Uh, you know, they had a good record, but they did take those losses to Notre Dame in the regular season in the ACC tournament cost them a chance to host the Elite Eight. So this year, you know, they they sort of kind of earned that back by beating number one Kentucky, beating Akron and number one Kentucky. I mean, to get this home game and, you know, it, it's just one and done. Anything can happen in this, this type of tournament. So, um, yeah, I, I, you know, I, I think it's going to be a challenge in the, res the respect only in that they have sh a little bit shorter rests than Portland, but Portland has to travel. And we know how that is West coast, East coast travel. 
um, it, it's real. It's definitely a thing. Um, you know, so I, it, it, what do you think are really the key? Oh, and, and Galena, Pitt won't have Enrique Galena as well because he's had that red card. So he's going to have to sit that match out. So what, what do you think in terms of defensively? And I think Ab, Abdul Nadi, uh, Mohammed Abdul Nadi hasn't been uh, healthy either. So from a backline standpoint, they might be a little bit, uh, it might be a makeshift situation. Well, I mean, they'll play the same lineup they've had, certain lineup they've had for a while. I mean, Galino is primarily, primarily playing as a forward. It, it was weird because he's, because when Learman was injured, so Giannis Learman, who's been center back most of the year, unhealthy when he was injured Galina played in his place but he mainly is a midfielder to some extent mm-hmm. but he's very big so he can play the striker role if so be and also play that center back but obviously red card he will not be in this game but he will be back if i believe he'll be back if they make the final four i don't think there's any extensive uh yeah. um suspension with what his red card which could happen but there's none but uh yeah i mean it'll be jackson gilman who's one of the best freshmen in the country uh Earned first uh, freshman all ACC honors, I believe. Yes, he uh, was outstanding on uh, on Sunday incredible. night. He was yeah, everywhere. He's yeah, he's incredible to watch. I mean, just his like again, calmness and coolness, and his ability to just stay calm in that uh, ball and just get it to defenders. And you have on your right and right back, you have Lucas Rosa, who's a midfield by trade, and offensively you can see that, but um, defensively he's very uh, stout as well. Although I think he was responsible for the goal, but I mean. You know, happens. He's still a very solid player. Pitt doesn't give up many goals, um, and he's a big leader on the team. Uh, Jackson Malty spoke glowingly of him when I spoke to him about players in the team he bonds with. Um, who else? I mean, yeah, Giannis Learman, who you know was in a little bit of injury trouble this year and got suspended during the Notre Dame game. I mean, when he's in that field, I mean, he's so quick. He's so ready to take on his man, and he's just brilliant. Uh, transfer uh get for uh jay vidovich and vidovich really appreciates his work because you know he plays every game and then uh mateo mayofold uh he is french just like noel and uh jack Hassan. he was <laughs> i spoke to him after the akron game he was a bit nervous yeah. because he doesn't speak english but he spoke fine but i mean he's been in a left back position so um you're talking about a player that made a mistake in his first appearance when abunati went down right. uh, in that virginia game and virginia ended up winning 3-1 to now being so like so confident on the ball and just able to move it up the field really well and taking on his man, getting tackles, making interceptions. Um, it's great to see from him and another another good get for Jay Vidovich this season. I mean, they lost a lot of players last year. So mm-hmm. for them to be so stout defensively, yeah. the of God. I mean, I mean it's a it's it's a test of Jay and his team. They they they, they basically replace the whole back line. Mm-hmm. These are all new players. They're all playing right. each other for the first time. They they're doing so well. Um, and I mean, you can't forget Joe Vandesar in that. I mean, he's been pretty solid as well. I mean, just getting the stops that are needed to be stopped. I don't think he's made any. Um, like, I think he made a pretty good save last game, but um, and he played pretty good save against Akron, but he's not making like 20 to 10, 50 saves, right. game, which again, it's has with the defense for them keeping the ball out and making sure. Well, that's that's right. And, it, you know, and I do think it'll be a big game for, again, as we've been saying all along, go for Walty and Murkovic's, Murkovic, because, you know, again, they'll. They're, they're the, like the steadying forces in front of the back line. You know, there's a little bit of, you know, changes here and there. The only thing is, is the way Pitt plays, 
They like to get forward and bring numbers. They do put a lot of pressure on those two center backs a lot of times. And, you know, get they get put into those one-on-one situations. So, I, you know, that's just – that'll be the challenge. Um, and without Galena, the other, other thing is just – I haven't really looked at Portland's roster, but if set pieces uh, – defending set pieces, you know, I, I – that would be, I'm sure, something that Jay Vitovich is is going to be working on in practice all week. And, if, you know, they've looked at tape on Portland, that sort of thing, and that they'll be prepared for those situations. But, no, Murkovich is probably your biggest, one of your biggest guys beyond Galena at six foot two. Um, and, but, you know, real, it'll be interesting to see how they, how they handle set pieces against, without Galena in the lineup. I think he's, he's definitely a guy that you, a lot of times you'll mark, one of the bigger players um, on the other team. So, um, all right. So Dom, I, you know, it, your insight's great. It, it, one last kind of note as we segue into the uh, talk to Mike DeCourcy from the sporting news um, about the U S men's national team, um, you know, and they're taking on the Dutch and there's one, one player you just, you can't help, but not recognize on Pitt's uh, roster. Um, Joe Vandesar, you know, of course uh, his dad is the, you know, legendary Dutch keeper. And that's, uh, I'm sure it'll be, it'll be interesting how the, your players, I mean, obviously the players are going to be focused on their games, but their nations are playing to the, you know, it's just a couple hours before uh, at least some of them, like Pitt has so many international players. So, um, but yeah, it, it'll be interesting to see how that, the dynamic of like, they've got to be focused on their game, but I'm sure everybody's going to be wanting to watch the world cup, that kind of thing. It's just a lot of excitement, isn't it, Tom? Yeah, I mean, odd to have a World Cup in uh, November, uh, December now. Sure. But um, I know fans are going to be really excited to see the U.S. play in the knockout stage again. Um, that 2018 World Cup without them was pretty sad. Uh, not entire World Cup, just to have that they weren't there. But um, yeah, fans are going to be really excited. I mean, if you're, I mean, if you're Pittsburgh, look, you got a U.S. men's national team in the round of 16 against a very solid Dutch team, and then you have Pitt playing right after that. I mean, what else could you hope for? And for the players, I mean. They'll probably watch it, but I'm I'm pretty sure they're really focused on just trying to win the and so tournament game. I'm pretty sure they're like, why wasn't this in the summer when I didn't have to prepare for absolutely <laughs> an elite eight matchup? <laughs> I know. Well, next time around when it's here in the United States. Yeah. But... Yes. Next next time. Yeah. All right, Dom. It's again great. Thanks for all your um, you know coverage with Pitt and everything you're doing for our site, and we appreciate it. And we will be on the lookout for a, a preview on it. They get a look closer look at Portland from you yep sounds good to me hopefully they make the final four and we can make a trip down to Cary, north carolina should be uh ho- hopefully we can make it out there sir we're planning we're planning let's hope it goes through uh, <laughs> i guess for its sake so all right thanks dom yep thanks all right we have mike DeCourcy here from the sporting news mike this is your return to the sounding off on soccer podcast it's great to have you here uh we talked i believe in the summertime maybe towards the end of the summer we talked about the united states men's national team and i, I you know I, I actually listened to bits and pieces of that uh, that uh podcast just to remember what we talked about and it was interesting we were talking about players that aren't even on this u.s national team i think we talked about zach stefan we talked about john brooks you know, those guys are, I mean, so, but here we are and the United States is advanced. They're in the uh, round of 16 in the knockout stage. It was if second half gritty performances, you know, and first half, they look like uh, they could play with anybody. Uh, that's, that was, if you asked me in one sentence to wrap it up, that's, that's kind of how I looked at it. What, what was your, what was your thoughts on the United States uh, performance? 
Yeah, I, I think, first of all, uh, I, I think that people are overlooking. And I, I, I'll be honest with you, John, I have been amazed. And I don't know if it's a social media thing now. Uh, and maybe if, you know, this same thing happened, you know, if if the whole universe shifted and, and the evolution of U.S. soccer had arrived here pre-Twitter, pre-Facebook, and we had this group of players in the, I don't know, say the 2006 World Cup or something like that. But the the the, the enmity, the, the, the volume of criticism against Greg Berhalter for now having accomplished every single thing, every last thing he could have accomplished from from the, the Nations League title to the Gold Cup title to owning Mexico against the, oh, against a coach that many U.S. fans thought was more qualified to be the head coach of the U.S. than than he than Greg Berhalter. And then from there, qualifying for the World Cup, which was maybe more important than anything. And now having advanced out of group, he has done every single thing that they could have asked. But because they couldn't party for the second half, they're mad at him. I mean, come on. This is this is the World Cup. This is how it works. You don't get the party. You, you know, you get the party between games and after and maybe, you know, based on VAR, you might get the party after a goal. Um, but, you know, I mean, that's just the way it goes. You don't blow teams out in this tournament. And so, you know, the idea that it's a bad idea to pack it in uh, to an extent. I mean, they didn't completely bunker no. for, for mm -hmm. any of those second halves and certainly not the England game when they were uh, when they were in a, in a draw. They didn't completely bunker in any of them. Now, they weren't always effective. And uh, and that was true against Iran. You know, Iran fouled them out of a couple of different breaks. They injured Weston McKinney on one of them. They took down Brendan Aronson on another that might have been an opportunity. The U.S. chose in the second half to play long balls, and that's not really who they are. Um, they put in Haji Wright to deal with that, and he did a poor job. Uh, but he had played pretty well against England as a starter, So, I, you, and given the circumstance, you understood why that's why they would go to him, why Burhalter would go to him. The fact that he didn't play well, Oh, he should have put Claudio Rainia out there. Or, not, excuse me, uh, Gio Rainia. Yeah. Well, Gio doesn't field long balls. That's not what he does. He's never done it. I mean, it, it, that's Dortmund doesn't play that way at all. And so he's never done that. So why? And, and, and he's a little bit, you know, he's not as tall and he's not as, uh, you know, he's not quite as rugged as, as uh, Haji is. Now, as I said, Haji did not do well, but that, you know, sometimes you're, it's okay to yell at the player. You know, I mean, he just didn't do a good enough job. He, the one time he took the ball down to the corner and it could have been a time-wasting opportunity. And instead, he tried a, a meager shot. So, I mean, I, I, I have been amazed, really, at the lack of appreciation for getting through group play, allowing zero goals from open play. One penalty that was a bad decision and that Gareth Bale converted. And the rest of the time against England, which has Jude Bellingham, and Bokayo Saka uh, and Harry Kane, who's maybe the most complete striker in world soccer uh, and got zero goals and very few opportunities. I, I think their defensive effort has been amazing. Oh, I, I totally agree. I think defensively, and, and like you said, Greg Berhalter has, I mean, <laughs> yes, I think sometimes I've had talked to some people uh, who say that, well, maybe the players are thinking too much and that, but as they, as they kind of get into the groove of playing together through a tournament, and that's what we've seen, 
I, I think especially from a defensive standpoint, from a game management standpoint, they took what they learned from Wales and applied that in the last, you know, 20 minutes against Iran. And I, I thought that was, you know, that you're like you said, but I think ultimately they passed the test. And the way I look at it is you have such a young team that everything now is, I mean, yes, you want to, you want to go as far as you can and, and, and all of that, but I mean, you have such a young team to be able to, it's like the, um, probably a terrible analogy, but the college football analogy, Oh, let's get a team into a bowl game. So they get six more weeks of practice, but like that same kind of mentality of like, let's, let's, let's get these kids this experience. Who knows? They go in play against the Dutch, you know, obviously very talented Dutch team, but Hey, they go toe to toe with the Dutch. And if they can come out of it, even more confidence will grow. I mean, it's just, there's just, this is a very good place for this, this, U.S. men's national team to be right now. Yeah, I, you know, one of the things that's interesting about uh, the Netherlands and maybe overlooked a little bit is that their players have about as few experiences playing at this level as the Americans do. Okay, so the Americans don't qualify in 18. Well, neither did the Dutch. And the Dutch also didn't qualify for the Euros in 2016. Uh, so they did qualify... Uh, for 2020 and they did play there but they didn't do well so this is kind of new for most of those guys I mean now look Virgil van Dyke has played in every big game there is to play and he's one of the greatest defenders in world soccer uh, so it's going to be very hard to play against him and Gakpo has been maybe the breakout star of the tournament so uh, there there's there's lots of quality there's lots of talent um, there's lots to, to to be concerned about for the U.S. But it's going to be as new for the Netherlands, for this group, uh, other than Louis van Hall, the coach, who, who got to the semis in 14. Um, uh, other than him, it's new for most of their guys. Memphis Depay was with that group as well, but he's not starting Memphis, so we don't know how much impact he'll have on Saturday. We'll see. Uh, I'm sure he'll get in the game. But, you know, that 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 says something, too. It, it, it maybe is a little it's not an advantage to the U.S., but it's not a disadvantage either. The only difference between the U.S. and the Netherlands is the Netherlands has been there before on many occasions and the U.S. has not. Uh, but that doesn't really impact Weston McKinney. Weston McKinney's not worried about how far uh, Claudio Reyna got. You know, it doesn't matter to him. He just cares about what he's able to do. Yeah, this team, though, you know, again, kind of coming back to their their mentality as a team and Berhalter decision making. Um, what have what has have there been any surprises from your standpoint? I know you and I talked way back about the roster and just there was even before the roster selections were made. But in terms of the personnel that he's used, you know, there's been some talk about the number nine. If they really can't find a solution um, is Josh Sargent. You know, maybe Weah should be up there. Who you know what? Um, obviously, um, Greg is kind of using his options. Uh, I think tactically. I think, like you said, in the second half of the the you know he made the certain subs. Now, I my only concern was the substitutions that he made in late in the um, Iran game. I thought that there was a few shaky moments for Shaq Moore and um, and and some of the other subs, but. I, that, other than that, I, I think overall there's there's some players out there that he has still hasn't even used uh, as well. Yeah, you know, I, I 
I, I'm not sure exactly what he's seeing in Shaq Moore, uh, but he he wasn't very good in the England game. Uh, gave the ball away too easily and and struggled at times against Iran as well. Uh, I I don't think they found a solution for uh, replacing Dest late. Uh, with, you know, and obviously, you know that may that may if if it's a problem on Saturday, then that's a good problem because Shaq Moore's only coming in if they're trying to protect the lead or someone else, uh, whether it's Yedlin or whatever. Uh, they're not taking Dest out unless he's completely spent uh, if they're tied or behind. So uh, I, I, that's a that's that'd be a good problem to have in that sense. But, you know, there are a lot of people talking about Joe Scali, uh, who, who plays in the Bundesliga for uh, Moken Gladbach. And I, I'm not 100 percent sure that that's the way to go. Uh, his, his experience is so limited. And, and, and you know, with the U.S. And, and, and when he did play in in, the, in June, he was poor. I mean, he played better in the September games uh, when they played. Uh, uh, Saudi Arabia and Japan. I can't. I can't remember which one of those. If he got into both, I think he might only gotten into one. But he played. I know. I remember distinctly him playing significantly better than he did uh, in back in June when he got the opportunity. Um, but I'm not sure that's necessarily where you go either. I, I, I think that's you know that's a that's a weak point for them. Uh, backup left back, backup right back is not their strength. And so what do you do? Uh, uh, you know they're they're not very good at uh, you know at backup defensive midfielder either. If they want to bring in a second, they have to bring in Kellen Acosta. I think he's a fine MLS player, but he's not really a destroyer. I mean that's his position. He plays deep lying midfielder and he can pass out of the back and all that, but he's not at, he's not great at breaking up plays. Uh, so it they, they don't really have a strength there. So some of the substitution criticism has been you know, like, well, what else are you going to do? I mean, are you going to just completely take a chance or, or, you know, I, I've seen some criticism, honestly, John, and this just blows my mind. I've seen criticism of them putting on Acosta and not Reina. And it's like, well, you know, you don't yell at Mike Tomlin because he's not, you know, because he's not replacing TJ Watt, you know, with a defensive back. I mean, that's not the, they're not the same thing. I mean, right. Mika Fitzpatrick is not replacing TJ Watt. It's not. I, I, uh, Right. The only question is like Polisic, you know, maybe that when he went out, but, but you, 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 you would love to bring on Aronson too in that situation because of what he brings to the table uh, in, in uh, two ways, both ways as a player. And so that's the question. And plus Gio's probably, I mean, like you said, he's probably not at a level of fitness and form and that's probably a big part of it. Like, it's that simple. Like, you're playing at such a high level. You want him to be at that high level. Uh, and I, I think, though, the situations may call for it. If the U.S. need to keep the ball uh, or need more possession, something like that, or, you know, again, it's it's going to come down to, like, you go through tournament and you're going to have knocks and there's going to be guys get hurt. And then we were just talking about, talking about Pitt and they just lost a player for a red card who uh, will have to sit out the elite eight game. Like you got to have those next, the next man up mentality. And, uh, you know, the United States, I'm not quite sure we're, we're there yet in terms of where, you know, the Brazils and the Argentinas and, and, you know, the Netherlands even might be in waves in England to bring guys off the bench who can just play at that extremely high level against extremely difficult opponents. Yeah. You know, some of the criticism about Reina not appearing, I think, the fact that he didn't play uh, uh, against Iran was great. And, and and the reason why is because 
His butt would have been on the field if it was 0-0 in the 60th minute. 100%. No question. Absolutely no question in my mind. He would have been on the field in right. that game. But that game didn't happen. That's exactly what you right. wanted. You wanted that early goal. You got it. And so the, put on Aronson or put on him. Well, Aronson, the difference between Gio and Aronson. Look, if Gio had been healthy in the during the World Cup qualifying cycle, he would have been an integral part of that. And he would now be a, a, an important element of this team. But he missed the entire thing from, I think, the first window or maybe the second uh, all the way through. I think they played 14 games in qualifying. He played four of them. And, and, and those last 10 were all consecutive missed. So he was gone. And so he missed that integration into the team. And so it's not the same as putting out Aronson, who was there almost the entire time, if not the entire time. Aronson knows exactly how to mix in and he can play in the midfield, which he's done. Uh, he, he did back in the summer. I don't think he did it. Uh, I, I think they put him into the midfield in, um, in the Wales game, if I remember correctly. Um, he's played in the midfield and he can play forward as well, which is his customary position uh, in England. So I, 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 I absolutely, the move is to go to Aronson. He's more experienced and he can do more things. Uh, so I'm, I'm the biggest believer in Gio Reyna. I have written that he is the most talented player in the program, but he's not the most experienced. And that's because he's been hurt so much. And also he's very young. So like, I, I, you know, in a way, I hope they don't, he, you don't see him on Saturday because again, it means that somehow you got a, a early goal or two against, uh, against the Netherlands. And now all of a sudden you don't need to chase the game, chase the goal that you need to either tie or win. Oh, I, I agree. I think that's a really good observation. And Mike, um, you've covered World Cups. You've been uh, covered U.S. men's national team in person. Uh, you've had you've interviewed just about everybody, you know, in terms of especially all the coaches and everything. You know, how do you think that this team and Greg Berhalter uh, especially have handled the, you know, the the whole um spectacle if you will of the world cup and and the media attention that's come with it and as we saw in the past week it's been especially leading up to the iran game how crazy that was um and tyler adams too i mean just kudos to that young man i mean what a what a what a what a, he handled that so well but what are your just thoughts on how they've handled this whole the whole spectacle so far yeah, you know, John, uh, the first thing I was going to say was, uh, and if, if you haven't seen it, uh, if you're listening and haven't seen it, go on to YouTube and find Tyler Adams' exchange with an Iranian journalist. And I say that, you know, as, as someone who's been a, showing us flat his, uh, you know, quote, air quotes, quote, journalist, yes. uh, yeah. um, because, you know, I've been in the business for, for 40 years and mm. I was not impressed with how that all went uh, in, in the various uh, conversations with the, with, with the U.S. men's uh, representatives at the match day minus one press conference uh, for Iran. But if you have not seen how Tyler Adams handled being challenged by that person uh, in, a, in a very public forum, a worldwide forum that everyone in, in the world could see, uh, to, to the way he dealt with that question was really as impressive as Polisic's goal or the beautiful pass and the unbelievable finish by Tim Weah or the great save that uh, uh, that Turner made uh, in the uh, in the England game. I mean, all this stuff was amazing. But w the way Adams handled that moment was just I mean, it, it says why he's the U.S. captain. It says why, even though they don't have much experience 
you know, only one player on the entire roster who's been in a World Cup, and he's not playing right now, DeAndre Edlin. And yet they've been able to continue to succeed because they've got leadership like that and they've got a culture like that. I, I, Weston McKenney, after the uh, Iran victory, talking to Fox Sports, uh, talking about how how they're a brotherhood, they're they're they are brothers, and that's a culture that yeah that that's a culture that's been built by the current coaching staff. That does not happen organically. You have to foster that. You have to bring in people who fit into that. Some of the players who are not part of the team maybe are part are not part of it because they did not fit well into that and did not embrace it. Uh, it, it, that culture is important. Uh, it's why the Steelers have only had one losing season in 29 years or whatever the number, I think that's right. Um, you know, I mean, it just, it, it doesn't happen, uh, because, because they built something that, it, that sustains itself. Well, in, in world cup soccer, it's harder to do uh, international soccer because you're together so rarely, uh, but what they've built with us, with the U S men's national team is when they do get together. They're happy to see one another. They're excited to be a part of this. Uh, they're excited to play for the country. Uh, it's not just an exercise that you do because, one, you want to play in a World Cup, and two, you're, maybe your sponsor wants you to do it because it's good for business. And I mean, they really want to be. They want to be around each other, and and it's not always been easy to build that because I mean, you had the Weston McKinney incident uh, at the start of World Cup qualifying, and now look where he is. They they dealt with that beautifully, uh, and now he is he is a, a a force with this team. The England game wasn't you know he, he wasn't as great in the first and third games, but the England game was just brilliant. Uh, and in terms of his his ability to engage with his teammates, it's it's so important. Uh, I, I I've been very impressed with the way that that this group has embraced the challenge, and it's one of the reasons I think they have a chance against Netherlands is because they believe that they should have a chance that they've got, they've got guys who've been, I mean, Christian Pulisic has held up the champions league trophy and, and had a huge part in it. Um, they, you know, they've played with, with and against the best players in the world, the literal best players in the world. And so they think they can do this and I'm not convinced that they can, but they, the fact that they think they can at least gives them a chance. Right. And they have nothing to lose. And, you know, you, Mike, you've covered 32 um, final fours. You know, this is a one and done situation. Um, it, it, it's I have a sense that there's there's they're going to that's exactly how they're going to play. They're going to play like we've got nothing to lose. Yeah, that's I mean, and, and that's kind of the way they've approached this entire World Cup, but not casually. So, I mean, that they're they remember that that, that defensive record. It is the most impressive part of this uh, group. And that doesn't, not only have they not given up an open, uh, a goal in open play in this tournament, but they only, they've only been scored on by Japan going all the way back to June when they started world cup prep. Um, Uruguay couldn't put one by them. Uh, Morocco, which is playing well at this tournament, couldn't get one by them. Uh, Japan did. And then the three here. So they, they have consistently shown that they have a defensive structure that works and that and is able to keep the opposition out of dangerous positions and in those rare occasions when they do get to dangerous positions they've covered up uh, uh, you know for all the criticism of walker zimmerman in part because of the foul that led to the penalty which was a bad play 
But against England, he had a lot of turnovers because he wasn't passing the ball very effectively, and it's not a strength of his game. But let's not forget, he jumped in front of that Harry Kane shot. If that Harry Kane shot goes in, that England game goes entirely different. And instead, he gets in there, he blocks it, he, he puts it out. Um, and, and because of that, they go nil-nil uh, to the end of the game. And that's exactly what they needed. They needed to do that. And it's a big part of why they advanced. Sorry there. Um, absolutely. You know, they, they, um, this team, it just, there's a certain mentality I really like about this group, but um, you wrote, uh, you've been writing a lot. You've been covering uh, the world cup, you know, you've been at world cups, but it's been great to follow your coverage and you've written two different pieces. Um, well, really one main piece of after the uh, Iran match about Christian Pulisic, um, and you know how he paid the price for giving up, uh, you know, his body, for, uh, to, to, you know, on that goal. But then also talked about maybe the impact of where that goal stands in U.S. soccer uh, history. Um, just, just maybe share your thoughts on that. But I, but I just wanted to tell our listener, you know, that I think it's some some really good stuff there uh, in the sporting news there. But uh, just just elaborate a little bit more on on both of those pieces. Yeah, when you know the. the when when he scored the goal, uh, my boss is the first thing said. How does how would you compare that to Landon Donovan? Maybe you know maybe talk about that in your article. And my and my thought was, yeah, well Landon got to run over to the corner and get dogpiled by the you know Stu Holden and the entire team that was on the bench. He had the greatest moment of his life, and here's Christian in pure agony. I told you know I, when I when I told my wife the story of how it happened, I mean she was just aghast. I mean, the, the fact that he was in that much pain and then they took him over to the side and then he stood up and he, I mean, my estimation, my thought was, and maybe he didn't, but it looked like he was in such pain, he almost fainted. Mm -hmm. I mean, that's how much pain he was in. Yeah. And every man has had that happen at least once. But I, as I said in my article, I think that his looked like it was the full weight of every other man's occasion of having that happen. I mean, yeah. it, it, he got it so badly. Uh, yeah. And yet he he was able to finish the half. It's one of the most courageous things I've ever seen in sports. Yeah. Uh, in terms of you know playing through injury, uh, just just astonishing what he did there uh, to finish that half in that circumstance. And we so we uh, you know the second question that we had was you know how does that rank with the greatest U.S. goals? And so I right away put together a list of the greatest U.S. goals. And so I you know number one was. Uh, Paul Caligiri going back to Trinidad and Tobago in 89 and the, sure. you know, the shot her around the world and followed up from there. And, and then my boss said, nah, let's keep it the world cup. So, so Christian wound up on the list of with goals, uh, Joe, I don't know how to, how do you say Joe Gatons? Is that how he said it? Uh, who scored the goal against England in 1950, uh, the one nothing victory over, England that's considered the greatest right that has to be up history. there right it's that, right yeah so Christian made the list and then um I'm trying to remember who else uh I included on that list but it's it it was an interesting exercise and and it was funny because I did five and then you know because I was thinking modern era and then I thought well if we're doing world cup we have to go back to Joe Gatons it's only fair because right. it was right. So then I said, so I had John Brooks at number five, right. well, Brian McBride's uh, goal against Mexico to open the lead, the lead in the eighth minute in, in the, in right. the round of 16 game was another. Uh, and so then I, poor, poor uh, John Brooks, I had him at number five. And then when we put Gatons back in, 
Uh, then then John fell to number six, and we only wanted to do five, so he didn't make the cut again. Yeah. So <laughs> I'm still a I'm still a huge 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 fan of the Clint Dempsey goal in uh, 14 when he just like in the, right in the beginning of the match, he's just like yes. I'm taking this and I'm just going, and he just scored. It was fantastic. Um, yes. But yeah, no, you, your list is great, and I think you know when all this is you know going to be mem- remembered for. Um, you know, by that whole generation, the, the, the 1994. And of course the other, probably the more, most famous goal, you know, worldwide will be, you know, the own goal against Colombia, but yeah. for a lot of other reasons. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's, it's interesting. I think they I forget who wrote about this, but said uh, leading up to the Iran game was like, they don't have that, that signature moment yet that they, they, you know, maybe they, and, you know, maybe there's another one to come. I think that's the, the thing I think you, you look at, we could be looking forward to, but you definitely have to put the politic goal uh, in on the list. I, I think it, it definitely should be there. But Yeah. I mean, you know, I, the difference between Christian's goal and Landon's is that Landon's was scored in the 92nd minute, I believe. And mm-hmm. so, I mean, what do you it, mean it, the connecting rooms were not confirmed? Exactly. So it was, confirmed. you know, super it was close, though. the just greatest drama that you could possibly have. But, uh, Sorry about that. Yeah, that's okay. Uh, the, the, in the background there. The Christian goal uh, was, you know, was was what you wanted. I mean, it would have been much, you know. Yeah, I'm sure that that we would have. We all have that moment uh, of Landon's goal, and it'll never, you know, it'll never fade. But it wouldn't it have been better if they'd scored three that day, and 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 in one of them had been in the seventh minute or whatever. I mean, McBride's goal was not dramatic. It was eighth minute. It was a beautiful play by Claudio Reyna to get the ball down to Josh Wolf along the end line and to a, to an area of the of the field that I often think is underexploited by teams. I don't think they use that that uh, that short corner, what we would call in basketball, very much. Uh, and I think it's an opportunity that you know have, and maybe that's all because I saw that McBride goal yeah. and what was, what was capable there. I've always thought since then it's not used enough by soccer teams. Uh, well, I agree. Back. I, I do say on in terms of degree of difficulty, I always thought that that Donovan goal um, against Mexico in 20, 20, uh, two, 2002, where he just like went top shelf and near post, yes. like that was insane. That, that shot was like degree of difficulty. But um, no, I appreciate it. I appreciate all your, your your coverage. So if anybody out there is listening, Mike is you're writing for the Sporting News and uh, it, it's bizarre, Mike, this time of year. I mean, you, college basketball, like right in the heart of the beginning of college basketball season where so much is going on and and yet you're there. You're 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 watching the World Cup. I mean, how are you de- how are you dealing with that? It, 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 it I, I it's like an avalanche, honestly. It's been like an avalanche from the day the ball was first kicked. Um it it really has been. It's been uh you know, a good, you know, it's been good. Uh it's been fun. Um but it's it, the the coverage, you know, covering this in the middle of football, basketball, everything else. Uh, it, it's kind of it's kind of how I would put it. And and we have at Sporting News. I mean, we have affiliates in um, in countries all over the world: Australia, England, Japan. Uh, and so it, it really is kind of a worldwide operation. So it's not just okay. What are the U.S. men doing? It's every you know Canada. We have a, a big affiliate. So it's it so we're we're involved in all of this, 
Uh, and, you know, and, and I, to, to our editor's credit, um, you know, Mexico has such a big following in the U.S. And so we've been putting a lot of effort and, and resources into that as well. And I wrote about the, you know, the, the fascinating second half of Mexico versus, uh, uh, you know, uh, Saudi Arabia on, on, on Wednesday, uh, where Mexico needed a third goal desperately. And a third goal would have gotten them into the, the final or the, the, the round of 16. And, uh, and they just couldn't get it. And, and they actually literally did get it three times, but they were all offside. It was, it was, it was one of the most amazing, uh, 45 minutes of soccer that I've ever seen. Probably the most amazing 45 minutes I've seen since the 2005 Champions League final between uh, Liverpool and AC Milan. It, oh, it, was, well. it was just, you know, I, and that one, you know, that one turned out a little better, uh, yeah. you know, for, for Liverpool than this one did for Mexico. For sure. So this World Cup, I mean, to sum it up right now, as we head into the knockout stages, I mean, has your thought or opinion changed on any team and who do you like think will win it all? Well, you know, it's interesting because I, I look at that England team and I think they're as talented as anybody in the World Cup. And I haven't seen that yet. You know, them play to that level. I mean, I, I, maybe maybe, it, you know, because they did destroy Iran and they did destroy Wales. And so maybe I'm colored by the fact that U.S. was able to shut them down as well. But maybe that should be evidence of how well the U.S. is playing, that they held that team to nothing uh, and very few chances. I think that England team has tons of talent, but look at the bracket. The bracket says quarterfinal, France, England. Uh, that's a tough. That's a tough that's deal. Tough. Yeah. Um, you know, Argentina is a team I thought coming in was going to do very well, and one I don't think they've played great. They did play really well against Poland yesterday, second half. Um, but their bracket's a killer as well uh, because they've got to play. Uh, it, presuming everything holds, they would have to play. Number number eight Netherlands. Uh, trying to think of who the next one, the number four. It'll be the same as the U.S.'s track. Yeah, yeah. So US I can't remember who the who, mm-hmm. who their second game would be, and then the next one would be Brazil. So, so mm-hmm. uh, no, I'm sorry. It was what it was was they would play number eight Netherlands and then Brazil in the semis, and then they would have to play, let's say, England or France in the final or Spain, uh, you know, somebody like that. So it's a really killer draw. You know, I I I'll be interested to see where Brazil goes. When they get to the knockout rounds, you know, if Neymar can come back and if not, you know, I, I was really impressed by how tight Brazil was uh, without Neymar and how Casemiro stepped up, you know, two brilliant offensive plays from a guy yeah. who barely played offense his entire time in Real Madrid. He was just, you know, he didn't have to. So he did his job. But I mean, he had an unbelievable left footed pass forward that created a goal that was wiped out by a pretty close offside and then scored the goal that won them the game. So uh, I, I would, I, I think, I don't think that they want him to be the guy that steps up every game, but the fact that he's willing to and able to, I thought was a real statement. Yeah. And there's also, you also wrote about Brazil, you know, it's possible that they can win the whole thing without Neymar. I mean, they're so deep. It's, it's certainly, uh, I, I could see it uh, getting to that point. Um, and, it's survive in advance now. And, and so I think that's the best part of this. And it's, it's going to be a, a whole lot of fun. And really it started this last round because that's what I said, the U S was in win or go home mode um, the other day. And they, they really, really pulled through. Um, all right, Mike. Well, I, I really appreciate your time as always. And uh, it's been great to talk to you. And, you know, it's just, I, I, before we sign off though, I say, 
you know, Pitt's heading into an elite eight. They could be in a college cup for the second time in three years. Um, I know Pitt has had a long, a program for a long time. You probably weren't, wasn't even anywhere near your radar when you were in Pittsburgh covering, you know, uh, all the other sports. Um, it, it, it's pretty surreal, isn't it? Oh, it's awesome. Uh, you know, I, I talked to Heather like this summer, um, for a piece that I was working on about the next NCAA president. And we had a little talk and, you know, I congratulated her on the amazing uh, job that the athletic program has done building up sports that were basically just existing uh, before she arrived in a lot of cases. Uh, the women's volleyball program, what's been done there is mm -hmm. astonishing. And and baseball has gotten better. And and the soccer team, uh, just amazing that to, to be this deep into the tournament again, uh, this is, I, I believe, didn't they, didn't they have a great run the year before they made the final four too? They, uh, they got in, they lost to Georgetown that year. They, yeah. So, I mean, but yeah, they I were, I mean, they've been, they arrived at, that was the year they sort of arrived. They yeah. were like, we're here, we're on the state, you know, national stage, they've beaten ranked teams and they went deep in the ACC tournament. Okay. And then 2020 happened and of course pandemic, but they, they used that season to play into the spring and, and that was their season. They made it to the college cup, which right. is interesting. And I don't know, you know, you have a lot of, um, you, you're real connected with the NCAA probably more than m most reporters. Um, and it's going to be very interesting. The coaches, the college coaches are pushing for uh, what they call the 21st century model, which right. is to play fall and spring. And in this way, they're not playing, you know, in Pittsburgh in December, in an elite eight game that they could stretch the season out. They could play once a week there. It's better on the wear and tear for players. There's this whole proposal that they've been trying to push through. And it'll be interesting to see where the NCAA lands on that. And I don't know if you have any insight or even any knowledge of where that. Yeah. The, the, it was the Maryland coach, I think, yeah. who first really advocated for that. And mm -hmm. I'm a hundred percent in favor of that. I, I think that the soccer has grown in this country tremendously. I think it deserves that kind of breath, that kind of, you know, that, that, that life that, that extending the season would give to soccer. Uh, and I, and again, I, this should be both men's and women's. And it's especially true for the women. It would allow them to play more games. And you know, for the men, for men's soccer, um, it's less a vehicle. Guys still go through and become pros uh, and, and, and good pros. But it's less a vehicle uh, in that sense than the women's game, which is an, a, an essential vehicle for 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 women's soccer, for, you know, as a feeder to the NWSL and other professional leagues. So I, I'm, I'm a huge proponent of this. I don't know why sometimes the NCAA just says it's new. That's bad. And then when I say the NCAA, I'm not talking about the people here in Indy. I'm talking about the membership uh, new. It's bad. And, and, and that's, you know, where's that gotten them, right? It's right. gotten them sued, you know, all this other stuff, you know, sued into the ground. Like, just like, look at something and say, is this better? Okay. Yeah, it's kind of better. Okay. Is it bad? How is it bad? In, in what way is it bad? I mean, it, 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 has, it has no downside. It just stretches the season, allows teams to play more soccer and, and puts the championship Instead of having it in Philly in December, which they did a few years ago, yeah. or something like that, it puts it, you know, it you can put it anywhere in the country and the weather is going to at least be, you know, have a relatively good chance of being quality uh, for a, a soccer tournament. So I, I'm a, I, I couldn't be more in favor of it. 
you know, we don't get a lot of of, of bandwidth to to cover college soccer and it, you know, and all of that. But I, I, I just, there's just no way that this is that this should not go forward as quickly as possible. No, I, I, we all feel that way in the community. People, those of us who are on the front lines covering even collegiate soccer, and I think it's, it's time that, that, and like you said, the men's game is not as much of a feeder system. Although, if you look at the second division in USL Championship. And even the MLS is, is you know, there's yes. there are players who who will definitely move on and play at those levels. But but yeah, I I think it's uh, I think it's time 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 for that change. And um, so we'll, we'll we'll see. I I knowing your 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 contacts with the NCAA though, it'd be that's uh, why I just knew that in your all the years of experience, I just thought it would be good to add that question here at the end uh, for you. But. Um, all right, Mike. Well, thank you again for joining me. Uh, and, and, uh, you know, hopefully we might be able to do this again. Maybe we'll be talking about the U.S. in a in a World Cup quarterfinal or semifinal. That would be pretty exciting. It would. It would, John. Good luck to the Panthers uh, the rest of the way. And uh, it's always a pleasure to join you. Thanks for having me on. And for those who want to co- see my coverage of the World Cup and other uh, and other sports uh, uh, and the Women's World Cup next summer, et cetera. Uh, at TSN Mike on Twitter uh, or the Sporting News. Uh, it, it's uh, sportingnews.com. No, no, the just straight sportingnews.com. You can go to the page. We have a, a soccer page that covers uh, the entire world, the Premier League, et cetera, uh, as well as the men's and women's national teams at a pretty, pretty robust level. All right. Thank you, Mike. And uh, we'll talk to you soon. Thanks, John. All right.